Well, good morning. Who doesn't love a good holiday? The sun, the beach, the coastline, the ocean, the waves, the general relaxation and the adventure. I know I've certainly missed it this summer and I know a lot of you at home would have missed it the same. But when we think about going overseas, the primary sort of transportation most of us would take is an aeroplane, right? I don't know about you, but when I get to an airport, I'm a huge advocate of people watching. Can you resonate with this? I just love everything and anything about it, from watching people eat and drink, to particularly looking at the rookie mistakes like you and I just wouldn't make on a flight. And of course, when we watch, it's so, so easy to put people into types of categories. For me, I would class myself as a nervous flyer. I don't really know why. I just get so much anxiety and so much stress building up before and during takeoff that it just really makes me a nervous wreck. And on my recent trip to France a few months ago, I was sitting and looking at the exit door on an airplane. And I thought to myself, what is it that just simply stops somebody from going over, pulling down the exit door lever, and we all get sucked out the airplane? Just like Bane in the Dark Knight trilogy. One minute we are there, and the next minute we're gone. But what I found out from a friend uh, who is an engineer on our ski trip is that as the airplane gets higher and higher, the air pressure outside gets lower and lower, and they pressurize the cabin inside. Now there's roughly about eight pounds of uh, pressure against every single square inch of surface area meaning the type, of, uh, the type of six foot exit door on an aeroplane would roughly take about 24,000 pounds of pressure to open it. Now for those whose strength is in mathematics like mine, apparently the strongest man in the world can only deadlift 1,102 pounds, which means it would take roughly 24 of the strongest men in the world to open the door. So if I panic you in the last few minutes, don't worry, on your next flight you will be fine, you will not get sucked out. Nevertheless, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? That while there is danger on the outside of an aeroplane, there is something on the inside that is protecting people from being sucked out. Where am I going with this, I hear you thinking. Well, I thought to myself, isn't this exactly what it is like for us today? There's been so much change in the world, there's been so much change in our circumstances, but there's something on the inside, there's something like a dynamic the church that is protecting us and nurturing us. In our passage, for people um, who Peter was writing to, uh, they were believers, they were Jews and Gentiles. Uh, they were scattered across what we would call modern-day Turkey. And they were under extreme pressure for their faith. They were being persecuted for simply believing. But here Peter writes in this letter to them and tells them that they've been selected by God. They are chosen. And once you are chosen and selected by God, you are given a living hope. A living hope because of Jesus' resurrection. And this living hope will get better and better and will sustain you more and more. Even though you'll struggle now, even though you'll be persecuted for your faith, there is a place reserved for you in heaven that cannot be displaced. Therefore, you and I are to live holy lives because Jesus redeemed it at such an incredible price. You see, Peter says, despite things changing on the outside, there should be something on the inside, this dynamic we're talking about, that will sustain you and I through the difficult and hard times. 
I think this passage points towards love and God's word. So here we go, looking at uh, the beginning of our passage, which follows on from Peter's teaching of the living hope and holiness. Peter says in verse 22 what holiness has been for, why we have been cleansed. He says, you have purified uh, yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. In more simple terms, Peter states that you and I, having purified our souls by obeying the truth, we are able to show love for each other. You see, the whole purpose of God was not simply to take away our sins of the past, but was to clothe us with life in the present, so that we could demonstrate love to others. God's whole purpose for us as individuals and for us as a church was to restore us to his image. And what is the central characteristic of God? Well, God is love. And so here I've got three questions I'd like you to ponder this morning. The first of which is this. Do you know you are deeply loved? It's a pretty deep question for a morning, isn't it? And it's not that they're here to make you feel terrible about yourself. But I think the reason we need to understand this is in order to know and show love. A love which is pure, which flows out of holy living. It has to come from a place of knowing and showing and experiencing love for ourselves, right? You see, a lot of us can, in some aspects of our lives, put on a pretense because we need to conform to the way we think we should show love. Sometimes we create illusions to ourselves that we are love, but actually deep down, we don't really feel it at all. We do this because we are not in a position to love or be loved. But of course, that's no surprise, is it? Because we are living in a broken world. We are broken people. You look at circumstances and situations and see such a great sense of injustice. Maybe you have been part of the injustice. Circumstances do really inflict pain and can leave you and I feeling numb and disillusioned to what love really is. Hurt, brokenness and regret can also stem from relationships. And I don't think you'd have to be in a romantic relationship to have experienced hurt in the past. Brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, grandparents, aunties, uncles, work colleagues, friends, strangers can all inflict hurt. And of course, without reconciliation, we are left trying to feel and know what love is. I wonder if you're in this place this morning. Perhaps you are carrying a weight with you. But I want this to sink in with you. We have a God who places us in relationship. We have a God which puts us in connection to exchange love and be supportive. We see it in Genesis 2.18, where God says that man should not live alone. It's quite evident that we are meant to be in relationship, to have connection, and God promises helpers to complement us. Now, in the context of this specific scripture, we obviously know that when God is saying this, it's about a, a partner or a companion. But I really truly believe that companionship can form in friendship as well. It's clear when Paul talks about this in the, in the body of Christ in Ephesians, that people need people, right? And we know God highlights and places people in our lives for good. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says to encourage one another and build one another up. The Bible teaches from a place of anticipating that we are to be connected to others. 
And these connections will radiate and enable us to feel love and the power of God. Let this one sink in. Psalm 129 is one of my favourite passages. It talks about how God's thoughts are so precious that they outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. And when we take a step back and think about this, it's so radical, isn't it? That God's positive thoughts outnumber the grains of sand on the earth regarding us. So we have a God who loves, who is love. A God who places us in the right relationships to be supported. And a God who heals us from our brokenness. And just when it can't seem to get any better, it does. We can learn through the gospel, through Psalm 103, that God redeems us from sin. He removes transgressions from us so that we are able to walk in freedom and so we're able to practice love. It is our salvation that affects our relation. Being born again should affect how we are with others. So I'm going to ask you the question again. Do you feel loved? The second question I'd like you to think about this morning is this one. What does it mean to love one another deeply? I don't know whether you had siblings or got siblings, um, but I've got an older brother called James. And when we were growing up, we used to drive each other absolutely mental. Not because of the pranks we played all the time, but because we were just simply brothers. I remember one of my fondest memories of a prank that I pulled on James was when I uh, switched off all the lights in our house and it was pitch black and I went downstairs and hid under our um, downstairs cupboard and I waited and waited for the moment when James walked past I burst out and I scared the living daylights out of him. Now, if you think that was mean, um, then James sort of reciprocated this sort of behaviour. Once, after football training, when I had to go for a bath, uh, he ran the bath so kindly for me. But when I went and galloped in and I put one cheek in the bath, I realised that he only left the tap on hot. I'm going to leave you to your imagination of how I reacted both physically but also emotionally. But you know what? James and I, we are of the same family. We are brothers at the end of the day. We shared the same father. And Peter says something very, very similar down in our text in verse 22. I'm looking at the Greek translation here. But he uses two Greek words to define love. The first term is the word philos, which refers to brotherly love. So putting that into perspective and looking back at verse 22, it says, so having purified yourselves by obeying the truth, you have done this for a sincere brotherly love. And just to dig a bit deeper here, um, the word uh, sincere in Greek means unhypocrisas, which, uh, if you listen carefully, sounds a little bit like hypocrisy. So sincere love is without hypocrisy. And we see this term um, used in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, let love be without hypocrisy. In the Latin, sincere means without wax. So just like a statue in Madame Tussauds uh, isn't a real celebrity. Love is not fake. It's without wax. And it's a love which doesn't pretend. Why? Because we all share the first kind of love. We are brothers and sisters. We are of the same family. The second word uh, Peter uses in our text this morning in Greek is the word agape. So having purified yourselves by obeying the truth, um, you, you have done this for a sincere brotherly love, but you're also to love one another with agape. Now I know this word is 
quite oversold in modern day cultures today, but the term agape simply means sacrificial love. It's the type of love that God shows us through Jesus Christ. So here Peter is saying that we should express this type of sacrificial love because God demands it as our act of will, even when we don't feel like it. Peter further then heightens this call to sacrificial love by using the term deeply in our text, which in other translations is the term earnestly. Now a lot of you would be really, really surprised to know that actually this term earnestly is an athletic term. It means to stretch out, to go beyond our capacity. So what Peter means here is simply go out in all of your love. Stretch out your love so far that it generously and graciously heals. You know, it's easy to pretend when we go into church services and to our small groups, it's so easy to uh, dedicate our time with certain people. But remember, we need to be people that are called to love sacrificially, to be isolated, to those who are lonely and those who are struggling. Mother Teresa once said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. In fact, it's the feeling of being unwanted the feeling of being unloved and uncared for. The only cure for loneliness, despair and hopelessness is love. Now, I know Mother Teresa probably didn't expect to be quoted during a pandemic, but with all due respect, I think the point remains the same. Despite the pressure of what is going outside in our world, the circumstances from within, this should feel like home. The church should feel like a place of, of love and protection. Because of what? The deep, sincere, brotherly, sacrificial, agape love we show to one another. Now remember, I think this challenge doesn't necessarily ignore how we are feeling, how we're coping, the circumstances to which coronavirus has put on us and the repercussions of that are huge. But I still think we can come before God and, and, and receive his love to be supported by our community. And Peter also says, when he quotes from, the, from Isaiah in our passage in verse 24, because we attain a pure heart from being born again by the living, imperishable word of God, we are able to show agape, sacrificial love to others. You see, we don't have to manufacture a pure heart. We don't need to conjure up the strength within ourselves, particularly when we're feeling low. But because uh, we have God's eternal word, which is radiating love, which captures our hearts, which germinates the big and the small things, it's producing fruit within us. It says without seed there will be no fruit, but we have the seed, we have the living, imperishable word of God which radiates love. So we need this transforming word. We need to open ourselves up to encounter God, which will enable us to be born again. And from that place we are able to sustain ourselves and we're able to attain a new capacity. We're able to stretch ourselves out despite the hardship. But remember, it's not just about loving the isolated. Peter very, very strongly calls us in 1 Peter 2 to love those that we struggle to love. Therefore, meaning for this reason, because you have been born again, because you have this pure heart, put away deceit, put away hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. You see, all these words, they don't form community, they destroy relationships friendships. And so today I wonder whether you're carrying any of these words. Malice. 
Is there anyone that you have inside or outside of our community that you have ill feelings towards? Peter says, put that away. Deceit, it means to be two-faced. It means to be disingenuine. Peter says, put it away. Hypocrisy, being one thing on the inside but then being something different on the outside. Do you put on airs and graces that you have it all together but deep down you actually don't? Peter says, put that away. Envy, this I think actually could be the root cause of all these things. But it's where we are aroused by someone else because of what they have. Maybe qualities, maybe uh, material possessions. Envy, I think, can cause a lot of this. Peter says, put it away. Finally, slander is an action of saying something false about somebody or someone else. You see, we as Christians can gossip, we can talk about a lot of things, our concerns about someone else, but what we're actually doing is just slandering someone else's character. Peter says, put it away for the greater good. Of course, the most basic and simple command that Jesus tells us is to love one another, but of course, it can be the hardest. But we can do it because we have the living, imperishable word of God. Even when we're at our limit, God can come into our life and show us the way. Because guess what? When we keep seeking, when we keep searching, he keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. So who do you find difficult to love? Are there names, circumstances you need to give to God this morning? So then you're able to show a brotherly love, a sacrificial love comes through God who is love. A final question, what is the outcome of loving one another deeply? Well, we see the outcome so clearly all over the New Testament. It's scattered everywhere. Particularly in 1 John 13, it says that, by this everyone will know you are my disciples because you love one another. You see, the outcome of loving deeply is so others can experience the living God. It sounds cliche, but our love really does make a difference. Our love, the dynamic of the church, despite being a place where it ministers to people and protects people, it should be also a place which decreases uh, pressure on loneliness, on struggles, on um, division, of friction, of isolation, of slander, malice, envy, deceit hypocrisy in our society, in our workplaces, in our schools, our universities, and particularly at home. Our faith should be countercultural. Again, cliche, but we forget it, don't we? Particularly since lockdown, where I believe actually we were on track as a, as a race, as a humanity, to being able to love one another better. Actually, since the summer has gone, and Clearly in the last week or so, since the sun has disappeared, all the hope, generosity and love that we once built up during lockdown, I believe, has just, just gone. Remember, the Jews and Gentiles would have sought to love despite their circumstances, despite the persecution they faced. And in a time where it seems humanity has lost all faith, where we are the minority as well, this is where we need to stand up and we need to be counted. We know when we enter places that God will not abandon us, that he will not forsake us. God will not um, abandon the people that are obedient to his word and where he's leading us to. You will be surprised, I believe, by the outcome of how people respond to how you love deeply 
how you love sacrificially and sincerely with a genuineness. And as Peter points out in chapter 2, just like newborn babies, we should crave spiritual milk. We should feed ourselves on the living word of God. That should be our preoccupation. So we may grow up in salvation, feasting on his goodness and his grace, so that we can know who we are in God, what he has for us, and how we can be beacons of light in this bleak world. Just like the memory of our favourite food captivates our taste buds, the taste of the goodness of God should linger on our lips for the many. Immersing ourselves in scripture in his goodness will help us love better and it will put aside the behaviour that prevents us from loving or knowing the love of God. So as we come to respond this morning, I'd love you to ask yourself, do you feel the love that this sermon has pointed towards? If not, ask God to reveal himself to you. Are you finding it hard to love others? Again, ask God to speak with you this morning. Are you being called uh, to dig deeper, to be more compassionate, to show more sacrificial love in your life? That is a burden. It's not necessarily an amazing thing. It's a burden, trust me. But I think we're called to do this, aren't we? So we say, come Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us this morning. God, would you show us what is on our hearts which isn't of you? And God, would you show us your will in our lives to be more sincere, to be more sacrificial with the way we choose to love people? Let's respond with worship.